Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. It's only 20 days till Christmas. And as you know, all of us know, uh, this time of year we're supposed to focus on uh, goodwill towards men, loving thy neighbor, and all that other good stuff that we should be doing every day. But the guests that we have today are people who do that every day, who do try to spread spread love and joy. We're going to be talking today to Frank and Cecilia from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So I'd just like to say hello and thank you to, for being on the show today real quickly. Thank you, Matt. Thank Thanks, you very Matt. much, Frank. Thank you very much, Cecilia. Uh, now, Frank, uh, I, we're just going to dive in. I could go on and on and prattle about all the great stuff, but I, they want to hear from you. They get bored hearing from me. So, um, and, uh, so, Frank, can you tell me about how you got involved? In, well, first of all, tell us what Make-A-Wish is for those people that have been living under a rock and never heard of it. No problems. We'll try and help them come out from under the rock then. Mm. Uh, well, Make-A-Wish, we have two, two very simple aims, Matt, and that is to grant the very special wishes of young people under the age of 18 who've got a very, very serious illness. And our second aim is to raise enough money to be able to grant those wishes. Mm. Simple as that. Very. That's why you were such a successful uh, uh, finance fella, uh, investment uh, consultant, because I think uh, you make it very simple and clear. Got to keep it simple. All right. Well, um, I also want to just say real quick that Frank uh, Jakovac, Jakov, Jakovac, sorry, Jakovic. You know, I'm from Chicago, and I've lost my Chicago. I'm going to do the rest of this interview here with my Chicago accent so I can pronounce the Polish ways, names the best way, if that's okay. You're doing very well. All right. Well, Frank, uh, it's Frank Jakovac here, and he's uh, going to be talking about the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We've also got Cecilia here. So Cecilia is also very high speed, and she is the wish coordinator. So can you tell us about some of the wishes that you've had the opportunity to grant? Um, yes, I've, I've only been um, a volunteer for six years, uh, but in that time I've probably done about 30 wishes, um, which, you know, is, is a fair bit. But, mm-hmm. yeah, they've, they've all been varied, um, cubby houses, puppies, most um, children want a holiday to Queensland, uh, the theme parks, swim with the dolphins, things like that. And just recently, last week, we had um, a little boy who wanted to be a part of the Lego Masters show. Mm. And he spent a day on set with Hamish and, um, yes, just, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Enjoyed his time there, and, and that's all he wanted. He wanted to spend time on Lego Masters. Mm. So, uh, Cecilia, your 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 husband, your last name's Vergara, right? That's correct. So, is there any relation to uh, Tony Vergara, the wines? 
Yes, he's my husband. Oh, okay. (laughs) So he's really lucky. He's so successful financially and lucky in love. So he's got it going on there. All right. Okay. I think so. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, um, Frank, would you mind talking to us a little bit about how Make-A-Wish originated? And and, because my understanding is you're the founding father here in Adelaide. Yeah, I'm uh, probably I'm the founding co-founder, co-founder, <laughs> co-founder in Adelaide. You're, you um, learned to speak English the same place yeah, as well, me, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's getting difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when I was in my working life as a financial advisor, so back many years ago, 36 years ago, mm-hmm. um, I used to go running a couple of times a week with a, a gentleman called John Hender, who at the time was my business partner. And, um, and we'd go running along the Torrens, we'd do 10k runs, and, uh, and then have a coffee at each other's place uh, alternatively afterwards. So one day we uh, had a coffee at his place, I got in the car, drove back home, and on the way, um, Evelyn Rigby, who brought Make-A-Wish from America to Australia, was being interviewed and uh, about this organisation called Make-A-Wish that I'd never heard about. Now, at the time, my wife and I had four kids, and John had three, and um, we've both progressed by one since then. And um, I got home, and I rang John up, and he said, I bet you I know what you're ringing me about. You've just been listening to the radio. I said, yes. And he reckons, what do you think? I said, let's do it. Wow. We've both been looking at trying to get involved in the community, and with young kids, we wanted it to be child-centred, and all of a sudden, this fell on our lap. And uh, that was in January, February of 1986. And in June that year, we launched it in two Westwood shopping centres, Arndale and Marion, just uh, on National Insurance Day, mm. um, tied in with our profession. Mm-hmm. And um, so we had brochures organised and everything else. And... Um, and John was the driving force. John Hender was the driving force. I was the lackey. So uh, he really got it moving. He made the phone calls and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it launched um, in June. And our very first committee meeting that we had wasn't till actually November. And uh, we'd got a few other people on board. And, um, and away it went. Wow. So much to unpack there. You know, first of all, I want to congratulate you on having your own basketball team with five children. That's <laughs> Thank it. You. Thank Quite you. an accomplishment. And uh, no reserves. <laughs> no No one's allowed to get injured. No. Okay. <laughs> all right. But uh, other than that, I, it's really so. It, it's just fascinating that both of you guys. You weren't even in the same place, but you heard it on the radio, and you thought that was that was the thing. Yeah. So it was yeah. like you had a calling almost. Well, exactly, and it was just uh, just yeah, it was just amazing how it worked. Yep. And you took probably the most boring – I guess there could have been a National Accountings Day, Accountant Day, which could have been more boring than National been, Insurance been, Day. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you, t- you, t- you definitely turned that into a positive. <laughs> wow. That's, that's great stuff. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the story about how it actually Make-A-Wish started in, in, uh, in the United States is where it started, correct? Yes, correct. Can yes. you tell us that story? Yeah, well, um, you probably know this one better than I do, Matt. Oh, so, no, well, uh, I could tell if yeah. you want. <laughs> well, I'll leave this one up to you. There you All go. All right, fine. Go. Well, I mean, I, I just think it's awesome because it's a uh, – I don't want to steal time from you, though. I want you go to be doing it. the talking, but I'll, I'll do it. But I uh, 
I just think it's great how small things can become big things. That's why I wanted to, the audience to hear this story. Uh, what happened was uh, this little boy uh, was sick, uh, very sick. And the mother actually had a friend who was a U.S. customs agent. And because he's a customs agent, he knows people in law enforcement. And after a while, uh, uh, the friends found out that this little boy's dream was to be like uh, the old TV show Chips, like Ponch and John, Mm. you know, a highway uh, patrolman uh, on the motorcycle. Okay, I think Chips stands for California Highway Patrol or something like that. So uh, they found out about this, and they started making preparations, and they were able to, uh, you know, f- uh, pick this kid up in a helicopter because uh, the the mother knew that he didn't have very much time at all. So they moved quickly. They were able to pick this kid up in the helicopter, uh, fly him to the uh, police station, or I think it's called the public safety building or whatever it is in, in California, uh, you know, and the motorcycles are there, you know, they had a little sidecar, they rode him around in, they brought him back in, they uh, gave him a badge, you know, I mean, gave him his own badge and uniform, and they gave him a certificate saying he was an actual um, California Highway Patrol patrolman. Patrolman, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously... Uh, that made a huge difference for him. I mean, it rose his spirits right up. You know, he couldn't barely speak, but somehow he found the energy to leap out of the <laughs> out of the helicopter and and grin from ear to ear. And of course, the mother was really moved, and and it was just a great experience for him. And, and uh, he, when he was on the motorcycle in, in the sidecar, he actually uh, handed out a few tickets. Parking tickets to people as well. (laughs) And the uniform that he wore was actually a tailor-made uniform, which is now in a frame as you enter the Make-A-Wish International office. in. uh, um, Where's the Make-A-Wish International office? No, 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 no. Um, I'll think of it anyway. <laughs> That's okay. We get the idea. But yeah. but I think the important thing for us to learn, and you guys have other learnings from this I'd like you to pipe in, but the the point I was trying to make is one small act of kindness, you know, and, and, and that was big. I mean, flying so many helicopters. But, but he got – but it just started out as one guy wanted to do something for this kid. And then he t- – uh, all these guys sat down together. They were all friends, played cards. They're all cops. You know, they drink together. They play cards together. They do that stuff and and told the story. And, and I saw an interview once with, with, the, with one of the cops, and everybody started crying and all this. And, and they got together, and they put this thing together. Yeah. You know, and then now, over 40 years later, uh, over half a million wishes have been granted. Which is amazing because in the very first two years – of Make-A-Wish in America, there were four wishes granted mm. between 1980 and 82. Mm. And you look how much it's grown now. Yeah, yeah. in 50 countries right now. Yeah, it's incredible. So it's amazing stuff. And it's all because of people like you and Cecilia, and I know that you're both you know, not people that are run- running around trying to get accolades, but I, I personally you know, want to say that people like you make me feel a lot better. You well, know, and, it, I appreciate, and, and it gives me hope. You know, when everything's so negative in the news, you meet people like you guys, and it's hard to be negative. You know, and it is. I mean, we we keep hearing the negative news of the conditions that our young children have that we come across. Okay, but as Cecilia would certainly support me. I mean, we probably have the best job in the world when it comes to granting a young child's wish. Mm. There is just no better feeling. Mm. Wow. I agree. 
That's awesome. That, that's such great stuff. So how many wishes are you uh, granting uh, nationally each year in, Adla- in uh, Australia and also Adelaide? Yeah, in Australia, obviously COVID sort of mucked the stats mm. up a little bit. But on average, uh, Make-A-Wish would grant sort of between six to 700 wishes a year. In Adelaide, we would grant on average somewhere between 30 to 40 a mm. year. Um, although at the moment... We've got round about 70 on our books because travel wishes have been delayed due to COVID and, you know, children's immunity, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there's a, a lot on the plate at the moment. But mm. um, that would be the, the stats. Cecilia would know better because she's our wish coordinator. You're, I'm sorry, are you calling her a WC? <laughs> I can't believe that. I thought you were a gentleman. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll use it as wish coordinator. Oh, okay. All right. Well, just real quick, and I'd love both of you to answer this question. Frank first and then Cecilia because he outranks you. He's a vice president. But um, seriously, though, uh, one thing that I think probably might not get promoted as much with Make-A-Wish, and it is all about the children. Don't let me change, you know, pretend it's not, but – I think the parents, it's got to make such a big difference to the parents, too, because they've got this child, they, they've got to be so frustrated and, and, and just heartbroken to see this child suffer, and they, they want to do whatever they can. To, they would trade places for this kid in a second, you know, but, you know, it's got to raise their morale, too, to see their child be so happy because they're getting this wish fulfilled. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, the... Make a wish. Whilst we grant the wishes of the child, the wish of the child, um, it's the whole family that we try to involve. And uh, whether it's a travel wish or whether it's a, you know, I want this wish or I want to meet somebody wish, um, we do try and incorporate the whole whole family. And uh, what it does for the family is amazing because what they've gone through and the time the child spent in hospital, away from school, away from his or her friends. Um, and all the visits, the doctors, the clinics, the hospitals, um, it does put a strain on the families. And this wish brings them together and gives them something they can always remember mm. and in some cases cling to. Mm. And um, there's been, there's been a, um, a couple of surveys done, independent surveys, with Make-A-Wish families just to see how they react to being involved in a wish and their child having a wish. And I'll just read you a couple of uh, stats from that. That 97% of the families surveyed said there was a noticeable improvement in their child's health following the wish experience. That's a pretty high percentage, 97. 93% of parents felt an increased sense of empowerment and improved ability to cope with the child's illness and the situation. And 90, 95% of parents agreed that the wish experience provided their children with a positive life experience, improved quality of life, and a shift in focus away from their illness. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very important. So whilst it's a nice thing to grant a child a wish, you know, mm-hmm. because they're sick and another kid's not sick, mm-hmm. There's a lot more to it than that. Mm. And these stats show how vital it is that uh, that wish experience um, is to that child and the family. So it's better than medicine. 
basically. Mm, I, I think because I flubbed your last name so badly, I'm going to just call you Dr. Wish for the rest of the show, if that's okay. That's the first time I've been called that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Would, what would, you, would you like to add something to that, please, Cecilia, about what, uh, um, what you've seen the impact on the family is? Yes, well... Because you're the one at the coal face. I mean, you know, uh, uh, our good buddy Frank here is the VP, and but he's the admin corporate guy. You're the one at the coal face organizing all this stuff. So can you tell us what you've seen? Oh, yes. Well, um, if it's a holiday, then, of course, the whole family gets to go, and it's a bonding experience for them. Um, and just recently I had um, I had a wish where... This young young girl wanted a puppy. Unfortunately, they had two dogs already, and the parents um, knew that the child didn't want to put them under any extra strain because one of the dogs was old and had heart problems, and uh, they had paid a lot of vet fees. So, in the end, um, she didn't want to burden them with her real wish, which was having a puppy. But the father said to her, look, if that's what you really want, you've got our blessing mm-hmm. to have it. And as it turned out, the elder, the elder dog died. Mm. Um, and when um, this wish child got her puppy, it healed the whole family. They, they were just so happy to have this, this dog. And, um, yeah, and as it was out, it was, you know, it was meant to be because, you know, it was only the two dogs in the end. So, so some of these things are... Some of these uh, wishes are huge things like I want to, you know, I want to meet an astronaut or, or, you know, I want to go to Disney World in Shanghai or something during COVID or whatever. And then other ones are just small, you know, acts of kindness that make all the difference. Wow, powerful stuff. Well, we're going to be back here in just a little bit with uh, our own version of uh, Santa and Mrs. Claus. Uh, who are making wishes come true uh, for children that really need some hope. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Frank and Cecilia, uh, heroes uh, in their own right, who uh, do their best here with Make-A-Wish to help, uh, help sick kids' dreams come true and support the families w- of those children, which is even just as important. Um, I, we were talking in the break, and you mentioned that everyone in Adelaide make a wish as a volunteer, which I was pretty, uh, pretty surprised by, to be honest. Can you tell us about uh, the staff here, like how many people are helping out with Make-A-Wish here in Adelaide and uh, how many volunteers there are nationally, that kind of thing, please? Go ahead, Frank. Me, Cecilia? Right, okay. Um, Cecilia wants you to do all the talking. I I, I got the evil eye there. (laughs) You have all the stats. Oh, do I? Right, okay. Um, Well, yes, the amount of people working in in Adelaide in South Australia is zero, and the amount of people working in Adelaide in South Australia since 1986 is zero. Mm. So we're just all volunteers, and it's been suggested that maybe we should look at having someone here part-time, but we've got a really good volunteer force here in Adelaide mm. and around the regional branches as well. Mm-hmm. And we feel if we need any sort of uh, corporate support, we've always got national office in Melbourne that we can contact and get some support there. 
So that's uh, we don't feel we need to have any money go on employees here in Adelaide. It can awesome. go on the wishes. That's awesome. Mm. So, so all the money goes to the ki- to the kids and their families. Yeah, yes. So, so what? Uh, how many volunteers are in Adelaide? In Adelaide, Cecilia, I reckon we've probably got about um, between the three branches. Uh-huh. Um, probably about uh, maybe. 4550 4550 between the three branches yeah we've got uh, adelaide central adelaide north adelaide south Mm. and um and then we've got uh, about uh, seven regional branches as well around wow where where are they yeah there's uh there's port piri um there's uh, the york peninsula there's barossa valley cool um there's riverland Uh uh-huh um, actually, there was Mount Gambia. That's just closed down, unfortunately. They couldn't couldn't get the young people to come on board, mm. and um, so that's probably about it, actually. So uh-huh. we're well, that can change. Oh, that can change. But exactly. that's exciting that yeah. there's there's that it's uh, spread. So, uh, as far as in, in uh, nationally, do you have an estimate of how many volunteers there are nationally? Yeah, about eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. Yep. Wow. Yeah, nationally. So that's... we've got about. Um, about 55 branches around Australia, uh, which also includes Northern Territory as well. Mm. So pretty well spread. There probably are people listening that might be interested in actual volunteering. How, how would somebody go about doing that? Yeah, well, the, the best way would be to either contact us or to contact the National Office directly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a procedure you go through with police checks you know, and all the rest. But, um, so I wouldn't clear. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll have a bit of a chat to you afterwards, Matt. <laughs> okay. um, but it's it's not a sort of a difficult process, and we actually are in the process at the moment of trying to get some more volunteers. Oh, great! Yeah, we've had a, a few people retiring, and uh, as in, you know, they've been there for a long time, and and you get to an age where you, your mobility restricts you. Um, so we're just looking for a few new volunteers at the moment, and. Um, so yeah, that would be very good if anybody out there in uh, in normal land uh, is interested in volunteering. Well, that's great that uh, there's an opportunity. I, and I, I tell you, just for myself, I mean, it, I, I I'm never ha- I was never happy till I was able to spend time in service to others. I mean, I I made a lot of money, and but that stuff never really made me happy. And uh, you know, I, I think if you're somebody that wants to be doing something. Uh, or feels like there's a hole in your life, this might be the opportunity for you. Um, but I'm just throwing that out there. So uh, as far as uh, – as, I, I know that um, my wife started asking me a bunch of questions about Make-A-Wish when, when she found out you were going to be on tonight. Um, so uh, she said, well, where do they get their money? I said, well, I'm pretty sure they just get it from, you know, the general public. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about where the, the money comes from to, to uh, help out these kids and their families? Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't receive any ongoing government funding. Um, occasionally we might get a, a small government grant from a council or someone that we've applied to, but we don't get any government funding. So... We do have to look after ourselves. And um, so basically the money comes from the public and from corporates. We're very lucky to have some really great corporate support nationally from companies like um, Hungry Jacks and, um, and a few others. I probably should have written them down, but we do have some, some pretty good um, uh, national supporters. 
locally, um, apart from people's donations, we do have a gala ball, which uh, we had finally this year, the first one after COVID. And that's our sort of diamond fundraiser here in Adelaide. And uh, that was that was very successful. People were just dying to go to a ball again. Mm. And uh, so next year will be our 21st gala ball here in Adelaide. So we're looking forward to a big birthday party. Mm. And uh, we sell Christmas trees, which are coming up from this weekend. Really? Where, where are they selling live, Christmas trees? Live Christmas trees. Cool. Where, where, uh, you know, I, I did that with my father when, uh, when, we, when I was a kid. To raise money for uh, the JCs, which is like the yeah. – Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. So where, where is that? Okay. So the Christmas trees are this weekend and the following weekend, and they're being sold at the Norwood Hotel Car Park, the Glenelg Football Oval Car Park, and also in the um, – at the back of the Mercedes-Benz Yard on the corner of Unley Road and, and Crossroads. Oh. And uh, so the, they're the three sort of uh, main venues. We also have a new venue this year, which uh, is only this coming weekend, and it's uh, it's for the Northern Branch, and they're selling it at um, – oh, I should have written this down. <laughs> um, it's, it's on May North Road. Um, it's like a saddlery place. Do you know any places that are like saddleries, um, mm-hmm. horse-type places? Um, so it's not going to help anybody who's thinking about buying a Christmas tree out there. But <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, the, the trees are being sold from 8 o'clock in the morning um, until about 3 in the afternoon and um, at the venues I've, I've just mentioned on both Saturdays and Sundays. At the Mercedes-Benz, it's only on Sundays, mm. okay? But at uh, Norwood, at the Norwood um, Hotel Car Park and the Glenelg Football Club Car Park, it'll be Saturdays and Sundays. That's Saturday and every Saturday and Sunday before Christmas starting this weekend. Yep, exactly. All the right. next two weekends. And, and one of them is in the back. Yeah, one. What? Yeah, this. Well, the Mercedes, Mercedes one is in the Benz, back of the. It's, it's like in the parking lot of mm. the Mercedes Benz dealership. Okay. Yeah, corner of corner of uh, Unley Road and Crossroad. All right. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. And we're very well, grateful to those places for allowing us to sell our trees there, especially uh, the Norwood Hotel. We've been selling them there for nearly twenty years now. Wow. So we're just outside Dan Murphy. So we're very very grateful to be able to do that. And we sell we sell um, over over three hundred trees every year. It's mm. a very big fundraiser for us, and uh, and they're lovely fresh trees delivered first thing in the morning, coming from up in the hills. And um, and you know if you want a fresh Christmas tree, there you are. Well, you know, I mean, I think a fresh Christmas tree beats one of those plastic ones you put together. Any day of the week and twice on Sunday, as they say. Yeah. So we're going to be back here in just a little bit uh, with Frank and Cecilia from Make-A-Wish. They're going to be telling us their favorite wishes that they've been able to grant and why and, and some examples of uh, you know how, how it's grown over the years and how people that have had wishes, their wishes granted, have turned around to help others. So we'll be back in just a second. Listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. 
We're back with Frank and Cecilia, and uh, we were going to talk a, a little bit about uh, some of their uh, favorite wishes here in just a second. But I just wanted to say, so you've got, I, I just wanted to talk, do a little bit of shameless promotions. You've got the Christmas trees that you're selling right now in those uh, venues that we just talked about, and that starts this weekend. We've also got, uh, you, you talked about your gala ball, and when is that going to be again? The next one? Uh, it should be in May. We've just had our first meeting, so huh. we're just working on date and venue at the moment. And you also, I think you do something out at your winery, don't you, um, Cecilia? Yes, yes, we do. Um, um, of course, the last couple of years, because of COVID, we haven't been allowed to. But um, it's a very popular event, and the rock and roll clubs all come there. There's a big dance floor, uh, seven bands, seven live bands, and everybody just um, brings their own picnic uh, stuff and uh, whatever they want, and it, and we we ask for a gold coin donation um, for entry. But some people give more than that. They they're very generous when they hear, um, you know, uh, that it's for a good cause. So we've raised we've raised quite a bit of money from that as well, and that's going to be um, happening again next November. Wow, sounds great. So how many people usually attend that? Uh, about a thousand. Wow. Yeah, about a thousand people. And it's just on the grounds, which isn't, it, it's large grounds, but there's trees and everything. So, wow. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, mm. and, it, and it's a place, if you don't want to go because you're a good person, <laughs> you could go because it sounds like the pl- place to meet anybody who is yes. somebody. Yes, yes. So that's right. exciting. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, I forgot to mention that one of our biggest fundraisers also um, is people out there in the community raising money for us. So we quite often will get a phone call to say someone's held a quiz night or someone's held a golf day um, or we're holding this, can we have some volunteers to come and help us and you'll get the proceeds. So we're very grateful for the community who hold functions out there and think of us as the charity that they can support on that occasion. So that is quite a big fundraiser for us and probably... A great example would be the Model Railway Exhibition every year. They have supported us now for over 10 years. Um, Charlesworth Nuts in their Christmas catalogue, again this year for about the 25th year in a row, are supporting Make-A-Wish. They're very generous, Charlesworth Nuts. Uh, Brett Brett Charlesworth and his family are just simply amazing and uh, they just continue on on giving and... um, Got companies like Galipo Foods who uh, put on a Christmas in July show for all their uh, big customers, and um, and we we go and help and get part proceeds. So, um, you know, if you are thinking of having an event for your company, um, then think of Make a Wish if you're looking for a charity to support. All right, great stuff. And, and again, you're looking for volunteers. So if you don't have the funds, you can you might have the time. So, uh, but I, I'd like to uh, hear about some of the coolest wishes and neatest wishes that you guys have had a chance to uh, fulfill. Um, do you want to start, Cecilia? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, one of our, one of my uh, wish boys um, was a, a great fan of the Chelsea Football Club in England. 
and he wanted to go over to England to meet them. Well, we don't do overseas wishes, but we found out that um, the Chelsea Football Club was coming to Australia and they were going to have a friendly game in, in Perth with Perth Glory. So um, once we found that out, um, head office started moving and we managed to get him to, to Perth um, and he had the most amazing wish. He had a whole day with them. They gave him a blank T-shirt and all the players signed it. Um, and there were three children, actually, from around Australia. And uh, he went to a game. He got taken there in a limousine. And it, it was just fantastic for him to, you know, to actually see his, his favourite team. And he had a favourite player, but unfortunately he didn't come. Oh. He was still happy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and how old was the kid again? He was I didn't 12. Hear. 12, okay. Yeah. All right. Your turn. Lay it on us, Big Daddy. Okay. Um, well, one that, I, one that I really remember, um, better get your tissues out because there might be a bit of a tearjerker this one. I'm going back quite a few years now. And um, in the early years of Make-A-Wish, um, because there were very few volunteers and, and at this time there was only like maybe one or only a half a person working full-time in national office, so we're talking the very, very early years, uh, there was a 16-year-old girl who wanted to experience a tropical rainforest. Her wish was planned for May. This is here in Adelaide. And um, in the second week of March, her specialist, Dr. Toogood, rang me at lunchtime. I'm at work, keeping in mind. Uh, on Monday of Easter week and said, if she doesn't leave tomorrow, she won't go at oh, all. Oh, my goodness. Well, there was no more work done that day. All the So... We changed all the flight arrangements, which we had already arranged. We changed all the accommodation, which we had already arranged, Mm -hmm. because she had to be next to a major hospital, given her condition. So tours were cancelled because she had to be near a major hospital. Totally new arrangements uh, for the Gold Coast were made, and she and her family flew out at 10 o'clock the next morning. Mm. She struggled for the first couple of days when she was on the Gold Coast, but on Good Friday, she had her best six hours at SeaWorld, which had opened up just for her, Hmm. and she got some rides running, and they put on a dolphin show. So back then, I'm showing you how far back I'm going now, SeaWorld SeaWorld didn't open on Good Friday to the public, but they opened up for her. Once the family returned home on Easter Saturday, she rang her best friend and asked her to go with her to a funeral parlour on Easter Monday to pick out her coffin. This is a true story. Mm -hmm. She passed away the next day. Mm -hmm. Both the change of plans on the Monday and the realisation of Dr Toogood's words when she passed away hit home. But her parents said it was a a memory they would always have. Mm -hmm. So uh, even I get very emotional when I tell that story because mm. it's one of the most difficult wishes I've had to do. Yep. Mm. Wow. So. And, 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 you know, it's just like the founding wish that got the whole thing started. I, I left that out in the beginning because I didn't yeah. want to break anyone's heart. But mm. the boy who, uh, you know, got to become the, the uh, chips. Yeah. Chris Gracious. Uh, the, he got to become the officer uh, for the highway patrol. He died two days later. Yeah. So if they hadn't have, you know, uh, arranged that stuff and really hustled, then it wouldn't have happened. Yep. 
and and it's amazing how they have that last you know to give that person that last spurt of activity and and happiness man i i think you guys got a little special you know i think you got a special rec room set aside for you in heaven you know you've got <laughs> you know where you got it you got it. it's like the Qantas club for make-a-wish people you know where you got your little jc's yeah yeah you got your little extra you got your extra room there that we don't that i'm not allowed to go into <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Okay, well, we're back to your turn now, okay. Cecilia. Um, okay, well, um, last year we had a wish for a little boy called Ardy. Now, when we first visited Ardy, uh, of course, he'd lost his hair. He'd just finished chemo and he had a cap on. And uh, the parents were very, very gracious. And uh, what Ardy wanted was a home theatre. And they already had a room, an empty room. It was like a sunroom. And that's where um, they were going to have this home theatre. And he wanted uh, four reclining chairs uh, because he had a younger brother, one for the, you know, parents. And, of course, when his parents weren't watching it, he wanted his friends there. So that was done very, very quickly, um, considering most wishes can take up to a year. I think within about six months it all happened for him. And um, when we went back um, to visit him, he had this beautiful head of hair and he looked so healthy and he didn't look like anything like he did when we first saw him. And he has become a little bit of an ambassador. He's been interviewed on radio, very articulate, and uh, he wants to be a doctor when he grows up because of his... His illness, um, it's left such an impression on him, and uh, he wants to be able to heal others. Mm. So, yeah, so that's Ardy. All right, so you're making doctors, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, Frank, it's your turn. Okay, um, speaking of doctors, uh, before I talk about my next wish, which is a very community-style wish, uh-huh. I did grant – I suppose I am talking about another wish. I did grant a wish many years ago, uh, which was actually a wish request in Melbourne, a young 16-year-old girl, she, uh, was, writing a, she uh, was writing a book about her experience um, in the hospital and uh, it wasn't a very good experience for her and, um, and they had to go back to the lawyers two or three times to go over the book with some of the language that was being used in the book. <laughs> but anyway, they contacted Adelaide because they were finding it difficult to get a publisher to publish this book so it came across my desk. And um, anyway, we finally got the book published. And, um, and about 10 years ago, um, I still knew she was alive. And uh, I rang her up and uh, asked her how she was going. And she told me she had now become a doctor mm. dealing with people with cancer. Mm. She had two young children. Wow. And her husband was a top DJ on radio in Melbourne, and she'd just got brain cancer. Bang. And uh, anyway, when I picked myself up off the floor after that, I asked her if she'd like to come along and talk to a promotional night we were having for all the companies over the years that had supported Make-A-Wish in some way. And so she did. She flew over with, uh, on, on her own and, um, and gave a lovely talk. And, uh, but she looked so well in spite of 
a different cancer coming to get her. And uh, so that was, and she's still alive today as well, 10 years later. Mm. So she's fought that as well, you know. But um, so there are, you know, some wonderful stories like that. And well, I mean, the fact that you built up her morale, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying that she wouldn't have made it on her own, but maybe that little bit of positive, well, not little bit, but the positivity that you provided when she was struggling the first time might have given her the strength to fight it through the first time. And that experience obviously has given her the strength to fight this time. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And the ironic part about it was that the book was quite a successful book and the proceeds um, went to a different charity mm-hmm. that she had got involved in, which was fantastic. You know, I didn't mind that bit. But it was just great to see that she got back into a profession that she really hated when she was in the hospital mm. because thought they were giving her a bad time. Mm. <laughs> you know, so mm. her time to give people a bad time. Mm. But, um, so the wish I wanted to quickly mention was this is a wish that brought the community together. I've done a couple of these wishes, but I'll just talk about Alira's wish. She was six years old, and this was um, probably about ten years ago now. She was nonverbal and virtually spent most of her time in a cot bed or wheelchair, living with her full-time carer mum. She loved her time at a distant, disabled, friendly playground, and her mother felt that having one in her backyard, swings, an underground trampoline, sandpit, etc., would be very convenient and allow her friends to come and spend time with her. So a construction company donated all the work and transformed the backyard, with nearby neighbours helping as well, not to mention a sign writer providing a huge colourful sign, Alira's Playground, on the side of the shed. The local community were invited to the official opening and the local mayor came along to cut the ribbon and even stayed for a while. Some of Alira's friends come over monthly today still to play in her playground. Mm. And when we were organising the ball, and it shows you what a small world this is, we were organising the ball last year and had it, we had it at the, sorry, this year, had it at the convention centre and we put a phone call in just to find out what the latest COVID guidelines were and I got the phone call and you wouldn't believe who it was. Alira's mother, Remiko, wow. who had just a few weeks ago started work at the convention centre. <laughs> Great stuff. You can't do anything wrong in Adelaide, mate. No. Well, there's so many people that are paying it forward now that are helping out with Make-A-Wish that were, that were actually uh, uh, kids that had their wishes granted, it's, and they're paying it forward. It's so exciting. I want to thank you so much for being here today, Frank. You know, I've been hassling you for, I don't know, two or three months. Uh, I'm glad you didn't put a restraining order out on me. Uh, I appreciate that, and I want to thank you as well, Cecilia, for being here, and I want to thank Mark for paneling for us. And most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening. And as always, I'm going to leave you here with a brief inspirational story. She was born to poverty. By the age of five, she was nearly blind. At eight, her mother died of TB and her father left all three of his children. She and her brother were sent to a poorhouse. Four months later, her brother died of TB too. She had three more failed eye operations. 
The poorhouse had so many reports of cruelty, sexual abuse, and even cannibalism that an investigation was launched. It was led by the man who founded the Perkins School for the Blind. On one visit, this little girl leaped in front of him, and she begged him to let her go to school there. He let her in. She didn't fit in, though. She was rough, uneducated, and poor, not like the people who had been sent there by their well-off parents. Regardless, she graduated valedictorian. She learned finger-speaking and had several more eye operations to improve her vision. Upon graduation, she was thrust out into the world with no support network, no money, and the obvious disadvantages we've already talked about. Her headmaster luckily found her a job in the Deep South for a family that until just recently had owned slaves. As a poor northerner, she obviously didn't fit in there either. She became a tutor for a seven-year-old girl who had lost her sight and her hearing at 19 months. The child was undisciplined and had no way to communicate. After months of effort, there was no progress at all in communicating with the child. She threw all her education out the window and focused on trying to make a connection with the child, partly by making the child completely reliant upon her. Eventually, a breakthrough. Later, the child, Helen Keller, became the first deaf-blind person to receive a bachelor's degree. At 22, Helen Keller wrote her autobiography. Over 140 years later, it is still in print in over 50 languages. She wrote 13 more books and also founded HKI, which combats blindness in 22 countries. She co-founded the ACLU and was an early backer of the NAACP. Helen and her teacher, Ann Sullivan, were involved in women's suffrage, labor rights, disability rights, and promoted world peace. Helen was awarded the highest civilian honors available in Brazil, the Philippines, Japan, Lebanon, and the United States. She was nominated multiple times for the Nobel Prize. Many universities, like Harvard, gave them both honorary degrees. They befriended presidents, first ladies like Eleanor Roosevelt, actors like Charlie Champlin, and authors like Mark Twain, who called Ann Sullivan the miracle worker. What do they teach us? Well, one thing they teach us is it doesn't matter where you start out. It's where you end up that matters. Would anyone truly think that Ann Sullivan, a poor, blind orphan girl would go on to directly and indirectly inspire millions as well as help millions more through her activism? Would anybody really believe that decades before women could vote that a blind and deaf seven-year-old girl named Helen who could not behave, much less even communicate with the world around her, would later be found to have the exact same IQ as Albert Einstein? We also learn that we should ask for what we want without fear. What if Anne, as a young child, hadn't begged to be educated? Both she and Helen Keller would lie in obscure graves, and all of their contributions would have been lost. We're also reminded that one person can make a big difference in someone else's life, and that person can go on and make a big difference in other lives. Finally, we are reminded that there are two types of people in the world, people like Frank and Cecilia, ones who will get there, and then there are the kind of people that will give up on themselves and others 
And then there are the people, like I said, like Frank and Cecilia, that will believe in themselves, believe in others, and who will try even when everyone else thinks everything is lost. The question we all have to ask ourselves this holiday season and for the rest of our lives is, which one am I?